I'm Andy Crouch, inviting you to download and listen to the new Beer Edge podcast, a source for news, information, and insight regarding the brewing industry and the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. The show, co-hosted by John Hall and I, talks with key players on the front lines of the beer business to give you insights and advice on how to navigate these uncharted waters. The Beer Edge podcast is available on all major platforms, or you can visit us at beeredge.com podcasts. Thanks for your support. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer. I'm John Hall, and there's a lot that I don't know. And I'm fine with admitting that. As a journalist, it's my job to ask questions, listen to the answers, and then process the information to get it out to the readers or the listeners. And I started working in news when I was 16, and I've had the chance to cover politics, crime, environmental issues, sports, and more. Back when I was a newspaper reporter, I knew that I'd be going to work, but I never really knew what story I'd be covering every day, such as the nature of breaking news. And now that I cover the beer industry, things are a little bit different. I know the overall subject matter that I'll be getting into, but my days are different. Maybe it's writing about sales numbers or an agricultural report on one day. Other days, it's covering a brewery that is making a beer with crazy ingredients or just profiling a brewery or brewer that is doing something interesting. For a single product, there's an awful lot to cover, and that includes social issues. It's hard to ignore what's happening throughout the United States right now following the murder of George Floyd, and we shouldn't be ignoring it. The human rights movement that's taking place is something we should all be involved in. Confronting racism and working to increase diversity are hard conversations to have, and they're even uncomfortable. And that's the point. The important things are rarely easy. The beer industry, by and large, and that includes its consumers and its owners, is comprised of white males. I'm one of them. In the 20 years I've been covering beer and visiting breweries, I've seen a slow growth of diversity in tap rooms by race, generation, and gender. But still, it's pretty white and it's pretty male. As protests have taken place around the world, Many breweries have taken the important stance in the Black Lives Matter movement by posting statements and saying they are going to look at how they can bring meaningful change to their business. Of course, there are customers who are saying, just stick to beer. And not only is that an antiquated view, but it's also not an option, especially for those who have long been talking about beer as a community. For the breweries advocating change, there's now a way to put their money and action to work. My guest today on the show is Marcus Baskerville. He's the head brewer and co-founder of Weathered Souls in San Antonio. And if you've turned into beer news lately, you've likely heard his name. In the wake of the George Floyd murder, he created an imperial stout recipe, and he called it Black is Beautiful. And then he put it out to other brewers in an effort to create a collaboration beer movement that could begin to impart real change through beer. I didn't know Marcus or his brewery before his collaboration was announced. Like a lot of people in and around the brewing industry, I was supposed to be in San Antonio for the Craft Brewers Conference in April. My early research had revealed Weathered Souls, and it was on my places to visit. But in a sea of 8,000 breweries across the U.S., this one hadn't propped up on my radar previously. And maybe you're the same way. And so before we talk about the collaboration, I wanted to find out a little bit more about the brewery and what drives it on a daily basis. 
We're nearly halfway through the year, and as I think back to January, it feels like a lifetime ago. So many things have happened to change our existence, notably COVID-19, and it's odd to look back even just six months and remember how different life was. And so that's where I start with Marcus, going back in time to the start of 2020 to start about what was on his horizon at the time and how it transitioned into where it is today. This interview was recorded over the computer, and I was at my house in New Jersey, and Marcus spoke to me from his brewery in Texas. Here's our conversation. So January uh, started off being a really good time for us. Um, at that point, we're implementing uh, new events monthly. Uh, so I think in January, we threw a coffee beer event. So once a month, we were going ahead putting like 12 to 13 different beers on tap of a specified uh you know, whatever we had set for that particular event. So we did a um, Girl Scout cookie event. We've done a coffee beer event, a chocolate beer event, different little things like that. And they were actually getting pretty popular in San Antonio. Um, The other things that we had going on, obviously being in San Antonio was CBC. Uh, So really disappointed in that, considering uh, some of the beers we had been working on were over a year in the making. Um, but you know, we can get, we can get to those releases eventually. Um, and then were were you, were you doing collaborations that were in the making or did you have mm -hmm. stuff in barrels or what was your, yeah. So we had a lot of beer and barrels from collaborations we did with like Inu Island Ales, uh, Claim Steak. Uh, we did a collab with Jester King that was supposed to release in barrels, uh, different little things like that. And so, um, you know, it was a disappointment that, uh, the whole COVID thing happened, but it was look, looking to be a really good year for us, especially uh, some of the collaborations that we had set up with some uh, new friends that we've met over the last year or so. So I'm always curious about how collaborations come together and how brewers like to uh, approach not only the execution of the beer, but also the, the conception of the beer. Do you have a collaboration philosophy? Um, I like the, or is it just anybody who comes along? No, um, I I like to kind of collab with people that have a like-mindedness, um, similar, you know, uh, philosophies about the beer we're producing. Um, and then also I like brewing with people who I actually admire myself. So people who I enjoy drinking their beer or even as a consumer who I look up to, uh, that type of stuff. So what were some of these collaborations that uh, I guess are still locked away somewhere? Yeah, let's see. We had Rally Farmhouse. Uh, we had something going on with Forager. We had uh, a collab with Moxa that was supposed to happen a few weeks ago. Um, let's see. Who else did we have on the board? Um, we were in talks to do something with a couple different little Florida breweries. Um, I'm originally from California, so we have a lot of connection to uh, California, too, and we're supposed to do a few with uh, some California breweries coming up. But, you know, hopefully those things will still get to happen uh, once travel restrictions kind of go down and different little things like that. Yeah. I mean, San Antonio was one of the first, I guess, hotspots of the virus, right? I mean, it's I remember reading. Uh, you know, the coverage of some of the f- folks who were brought to the to the local uh, military base there. And then one of them got out and went to the mall food court. And uh, your local government seemed to be a little bit more on top of it than maybe some other parts of the country. So the 
did the shutdowns happen earlier for you? Yes. Some so of the our shutdowns happened, I want to say it was the second week of March. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, they ended up shutting down restaurants, bars, that type of stuff. Uh, being that we have a restaurant inside, we were fortunate enough to be able to stay open for uh, to go and curbside. What was the response in those early weeks and I guess subsequently over the last couple of weeks? Have you guys been overall impacted or you think you'll be able to come out of this all right on the other end? Um, so we do a lot of distribution um, to uh, local restaurants and kind of across Texas. So our distro imprint kind of took a hit, especially with the restaurants and stuff like that closing. But outside of that, um, the curbside has actually been pretty lucrative for us. Uh, we've been able to, um, you know, sell out of a lot of the releases that we've had going on dealing with that and, um, you know, maintain our customer base and kind of do some fun stuff. So in the meantime of uh, realizing this, we're actually going to be cutting three of our core beers because we realized that, um, you know, small batches were kind of fun. Really? So, so after this is over, you're just going to, you're going to cut three core beers? Yeah, and move into a more like a specialty beer imprint. I mean, I can hear a little bit of a smile on your face because, like, that's it seems counterintuitive. Yeah, I hate. Uh, well, I won't say I hate, but you know, you you have a lot of different core beers, stuff like that. We had six of them, and so uh, dealing with that, you know, it gets boring kind of to brew the same thing repetitively. Um, especially with our West Coast IPA, we were brewing um, close to eighty to one hundred and twenty barrels of that a month, depending on how distro was going. Um, yeah, so. You know, and that's that one's, gonna getting, maintain, that one's no, getting the act. No, no, that's definitely staying. Uh, being that that's our <laughs> most say, popular outside beer, that's, yeah. But yeah, um, some of the ones that weren't moving uh, so swiftly, like that one, uh, we'll be able to go ahead and cut those and and uh, bring in a few little more stouts and uh, specialty IPAs and stuff like that that people so, tend to get a little more excited about. So, what's getting cut? Uh, so we are cutting. Um, we're moving our porter to a seasonal. Um, we are going to cut one of our loggers because we have a Mexican logger and an American logger. Uh, so we'll probably go ahead and keep the, um, we're going to still distro the Mexican logger because that's one of our pretty popular beers, which is a uh, Dolly shine. But outside of that, uh, we had, um, dual in the sun, which is an American logger. So we'll keep that on tap, but we'll stop okay. distroing that. And then we also were distroing a hazy IPA, uh, which was really popular as well, but I'd rather keep those in house. Gotcha. So you mentioned being from California, uh, which has no shortage of breweries and or good beer. How did you come to craft? How did you come to a career in brewing? Um, so I've been into craft beer for a long time. I got into craft beer from my cousin and my brother, who obviously are older and started drinking before me. So this is about 2006, 2007, around when I started drinking craft beer. Uh, starting visiting breweries. I think we went to our first uh, beer festival in San Diego around that time. And then from there, kind of got engulfed in the culture. Um, in the process of that, I started home brewing with my brother after he had got like one of those Mr. Beer kits. It didn't come out that great. And it was like one of those things, well, I could brew a better beer than you. And then instead of that, I actually went ahead and started brewing with him. But then I took a promotion with my job, moved to uh, San Antonio, 
and continued homebrewing here. In the course of that, started bringing my beers to different establishments and breweries and gained some popularity that way. Um, so I ended up getting a part-time job at another local brewery where I was an assistant brewer, and I did that for a year. Um, and then so within that of working there for a year, I met my business partner, Mike, who uh, was involved with the other brewery. So we used to go out and drink different little things like that and became friends over that year. And basically I looked at him one day and I was like, Mike, when are we going to open a brewery? And he was like, I've been waiting for you to ask me that. And we literally probably got to work the next day. Really? Yeah. What were some of those early beers that your cousin and your brother were drinking that you got into? Uh, So... Off the gate, it was obviously Sierra Nevada that was popular at the time. So sure. Sierra Nevada Pale Ale. Still, it's still it's still a little popular, right? Yeah, now. I mean, you know, it's an everyday drinker for sure. <laughs> I don't we don't get we don't get it that fresh here in I guess in San Antonio. So I haven't particularly had a San uh, Sierra Nevada in quite some time. Um, That's a shame. Okay, but outside of that, um, it was like Sierra Nevadas. Um, one of my first uh, IPAs was the Sierra Nevada. What was it? 20th anniversary. It was before they started calling the Hoptimum Hoptimum. Um, okay. And I remember I went and sought that beer out and everything. I was all hyped about having, you know, this huge double IPA. I never had one before. And then that bitterness hit me. And it was the most bitter thing that you could ever have in your life at the time. Uh, and then what's crazy, you know, at this point, your palate obviously develops. And so West Coast IPAs are my favorite style. But at that time, man, it was rough. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then uh, let's see, Stone was popular then. Uh, New Belgium was really popular then. Um, Alpine, um, Russian River. So we treated a lot of, uh, obviously, a lot of IPAs at that time. Uh, when it came to stouts, the more popular stouts were coming from Stone, Fifty uh, Fifty. We weren't too far from Chucky, so sure. we used to drink Eclipse, yeah. uh, Eclipse often, and different little things like that. And then we frequent um, Pete's Pizza up in El Dorado Hills, and Pete's Pizza had contracted beer, and we later found out that that beer was actually being brewed by uh, by um, Firestone. Oh, so then that's why it was so good. Exactly. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna contract a, ba- a brand from anybody, that's probably should be at the top of your list. Exactly. Which uh, so, Firestone has always been one of my favorites. So I, I'm curious though, because so you leave California where you have all of this this you know access to great beer and all 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 of these great breweries, and Texas for a pretty long time was behind the curve on craft and. You know, certainly, you know, there there are certain cities, uh, you know, Austin comes to mind as uh, hotbeds for good craft. San Antonio, to the best of my memory from the last time that I visited and, um, you know, even, even some research was kind of behind the times for the rest of the state, right? Correct. When you first got into this? Yeah, so when I first moved here, uh, Tef- Texas was definitely uh, behind as far as the beer scene in general. I mean, you had obviously great breweries um, within like Jester King and Real Ale, um, sure. but it was kind of, you know, far in between of finding, you know, good beer locally. Um, so um, over the course of the last, I've been here for eight years now. Uh, Texas has definitely grown its craft beer scene. There's some great breweries that are making some great styles out here. Uh, so we're catching up very swiftly. And how have you done that? I mean, I know when you're trying to change a beer drinking culture, 
um, it can be difficult. Um, yes. You know, especially when people are rooted in, you know, tradition and when you do have, you know, you are in, you know, Bud Country or Shiner Country or, you know, whatever people are sort of used to used to drinking Lone Star, I guess is what I was thinking of. Um, you know, I, and then you show up and you say, hey, I have this, you know, small batch porter or I have this you know, West Coast IPA. Was it a more difficult sell to the people who weren't already clamoring for craft? Yes. So, um, dealing with San Antonio, it was a very difficult... uh, Dealing with San Antonio, you say? It was a very difficult start. Um, You know, it's a very huge Hispanic culture here. Uh, You figure this is Dos Equis Town. Like, literally, that's what they call it, is Dos Equis Town. So, um, being said that, you know, we're coming out the gate with barrel-aged stouts, uh, hazy IPAs, and kettle sours. Um, you know, it deterred um, a lot of people at first because that's typically what they're not used to. Um, so basically what we did was just uh, we implemented, obviously, the West Coast IPA, Dolly Shine, the Mexican lager. And that's why we have those core beers. Um, so we can go ahead and, and bring these these drinkers that typically have more of a regular beer option and then, you know, get them from there to start sampling some of these other beers that we've come out with and things like that. So over the course of the years, it's been great. Um, you figure for San Antonio, uh, the two most popular breweries are breweries that specialize in specialty beers, basically. Um, and so being said that, you know, the city is finally kind of switching up and, and getting with the times. And what year did you guys open again? We opened in 2016. So this year we'll be celebrating our four-year anniversary. So it's interesting to me that over, I guess, maybe about two months or so ago, uh, the entire beer world was going to be coming to your town. And now because of the events of the last 12 days, we're recording this on Monday and it'll air on a Wednesday. So over the course of the last 12 days, um, you've put out a message to the brewing world. Yes. It's sort of a, 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 a flip. Yeah. Um, you, yeah. You've created this, this, this wonderful collaboration beer. Uh, Black is beautiful. And I'm wondering if you can just sort of track me back as to, you know, where you were when you first heard um, uh, about George Floyd uh, and the following protests and then where the beer idea came from. If this was something that you had been, thinking about previously and waiting for an opportunity, um, you know, terrible as it is, um, or is this something that was born out of what happened? Um, this is more so something that was born out of frustration and disappointment, really. Um, originally, um, during the whole George Floyd situation, I was actually at work at the time, um, a little upset, but what what really drove uh, this initiative was I was more so upset at myself for not participating in the protests. And so I was at home and trying to figure out a way how I could put my best foot forward and use the platform that I do have as a brewer to um, go ahead and assist my community and be here for my people. And um, so basically, originally what I was going to do was like just a normal uh a stout drop named the beer black is beautiful. I had a label done. And then that was going to be that, you know, it was going to be a one-time release. We were going to make a donation uh, to a local organization and then go from there just to kind of raise awareness type thing. Um, But in the process of that, I was actually having a conversation with Jeff from Jester King and I had sent him the label. Uh, We were talking about racial relations earlier that day. 
Um, and so I sent him the label like, Hey, I'm thinking about, well, not thinking about it at this point, but I'm going to release this beer in a couple of weeks. So he basically, uh, responded and challenged me to turn it into a collaboration. And so, um, from there, I was like, you know what, Jeff, that's a excellent, outstanding idea. Um, so I spent the next 24 hours basically trying to come up with a way, um, to get everybody else involved. Um, but also a way to, you know, not, I mean, being that the, the core base of our customers are obviously, you know, middle, middle-aged white men, the brewing industry typically is white male. So, you know, let's call arms to the brewing industry because they've been so great with the resilience, uh, initiative. They've been so great with the, um, with the all together, uh, beer. So we already know that the brewing industry can come together when needed. And I felt like this was, um, more than time ever for everybody to get together and kind of collab on a beer and, and show their unison for equality. And, you know, the reception has been amazing so far. Did you have worries when you first put it out there? About the response? Um, originally I did, but then after I wrote the initiative, I sent it off to a few of my white friends. <laughs> Just like, you know, kind of, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, is there anything that you, that, you know, offends you or whatever the case may be? And everybody thought it was great. So at that point I was like, you know what, if there's a couple of haters that get upset, oh, well, let's go ahead and, and ride this wave. I want, I want to come back to the, to the beer in a moment. Um, and certainly I, I I'm not asking you to divulge too much of a personal conversation with uh, Jeff Stuffings, but when you say that you were talking about race relations with him, these aren't easy conversations to have. And as a as a middle aged white guy uh, who covers the beer industry, you know I'm often unsure as to where to navigate a conversation or you know to be led in a conversation. Um, and you know I've I've just been spending a lot of time listening. Um, where when you're talking with other brewers about race relations. Where does a conversation like that start? Um, so typically I don't start the conversations. Um, typically a question is asked um, for understanding purposes or something along those lines. Uh, what me and uh, Jeff were talking about was just in general the uh, racial divide going on right now and a little bit about Trump and, you know, stuff like that. Um, it was just more of a general conversation. Uh, but, you know, uh, dealing with some of the, the individuals and friends that I have, um, they're very understanding. And that's one of the most important aspects of how to uh, go about racial conversations with people of other races and demographics is understanding. Right. So you always have those conversations, but then people want to throw in rebuttals and butts and, well, what about, you know, black on black crime? What about, you know, this or that? But then, you know, we aren't taught the majority of history in schools. Right. So we know that Jim Crow is real. We know that systematic racism is real. We know that the government has you know, uh, created programs to disenfranchise African-Americans and black people. We know that that's a fact. You can look those things up online and, you know, there's actual documentation, but more, more than likely there's those individuals haven't been taught that in school and different things like that. So they don't understand. Um, so basically the way conversations should go is 
the best form is to create some type of understanding, right? So just listen, like you said, you, you listen, and that's probably the best thing that you can do for these conversations at this time. When you, I mean, I, I've, I've often thought of, and I've often hoped that beer can be a great unifier. You know, beer itself as a product doesn't know race. It doesn't know gender. It doesn't know religion. It doesn't know, you know, anything. It just knows how to, how to be beer. And you can walk into a tap room and see, uh, you know, people from all walks of life sitting and drinking the same beer. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious if collaborations like this or initiatives like this, you know, where this one is a little bit different than resilience that you mentioned this, the Sierra Nevada. Um, it's a little bit different from the altogether, uh, initiative. Both of those were, were fundraisers for either a specific geographical area, um, or, you know, helping people out in, in, in the hospitality mm-hmm. industry. This is so much more focused on important social issues with money going towards charities that, that, that affect that. But there's, there's a cultural aspect to this collaboration, uh, and, and to this program that, that I don't think has existed on this scale, at least in the U S yeah, as far I mean, as I, I, I can remember, yeah, you know, it's a, at this point it's a humanity thing. And a lot of people like we've gotten messages like, ah, oh, I don't put your politics in beer and stuff like that. But yeah. people need to realize at this point, this isn't about politics. This isn't about anything other than being a human being and, uh, equality, inclusion and respect for people. And, you know, that's all that, people of color have been asking for for the last 400 years so i think it's it's been great that there's you know it's it's unfortunate that it took the united states and its uh citizens this long to realize that obviously there's a problem and people are fed up but i mean it's a great thing that people are fed up at this point there's so many personal stories that have been being shared that i i I think that you people might have told, you know, friends, close friends or family members, but now they're, they're starting to, uh, you know, come out and talk about, um, you know, the way that they've been affected over, over their, over their lifetime. And in the description for, uh, black is beautiful. You actually write on the page quote, as someone who has personally dealt with the abuse of power by the police, this recent turmoil the country is facing has hit home for me. Mm-hmm. You continue as I write this, I contemplate how the country can move forward, how we, uh, as the people can create change and what it will take for everyone to move forward with a common respect for one another. For us, we feel that this is our contribution to a step. Can, can you share your story as to, yeah, to what uh, happened with the abuse of power? <laughs> well, I've been dealing with that for quite some time. So I grew up in a pretty uh, rich neighborhood um, for high school, had a nice Mustang, you know, all that type of stuff. So I used to get racially profiled all the time dealing with the police in Elk Grove, California, where you would just get pulled over just because, you know, um, but outside of that, the experience of what I was talking about dealing with uh, the overall initiative was a situation that happened to me and one of my friends. And basically, we had went to a party, a uh, fight breaks out of the party, some gunshots uh, ring off, we end up leaving, and we realized that we had friends there. So we decide to turn around, make sure everybody is okay. In the process of that, we find some of our associates that we um, are obviously cool with, and one of their friends had been stabbed. Um, the associates that we, uh, found, you know, the, they couldn't take the, 
the person to the hospital for, um, you know, whatever reasons they had. So me and the other individual, uh, my friend ended up taking this guy to the hospital. So we hop on the freeway driving 95 miles per hour. My friend's in the backseat trying to keep the guy awake, uh, cause he's lost a lot of blood and we get him to the hospital. So the, uh, nurse, uh, comes to us and basically, you know, they get him out the car, all that type of stuff. She comes back maybe 20 minutes later, tells us if it had been five minutes longer, then he would have died. Like he would have bled wow. out in our car. Uh, so she was thanking us for, you know, getting him in here as quickly as we could, that type of stuff. Um, from there, you know, okay, well, the police are going to show up to come talk to you guys, ask you some questions. Okay, great. So police come start asking us questions. You know, where were we? Do we know the individual, you know, the typical, the typical questions, but then these, these questions start turning more into suspicion than just asking us to verify information. So then the next thing that, you know, my car is towed and then me and my cousin are cuffed in the backseat of the police vehicle. Mind you, we're not under arrest. They haven't read us our rights or anything like that. They tell us that we're in cuss for their safety. <laughs> so um, at that point, we get taken to a, a police station. You know, we're not able, we haven't been able to contact family members. We haven't been able to talk to anybody. We don't know what's going to happen to us. We have the fear of being in the backseat of a police car. We don't know where we're going. We don't know these gentlemen. They haven't put us under arrest. What are they going to do with us at this point? So we get to uh, the police station. They throw us in a cell and they keep us in the cell for the entire night. Um, basically still berating us with questions. They don't offer us any phone calls and offer us any water, food or anything along those lines. So we basically spend 24 hours within a cell. And then the next morning, police officer, a police officer comes, opens up the cell, hands me my keys, tells me to clean the blood out of my car and sends us on our way. So wow. I always tell people and, you know, um, outside of, of family members that I know that are law enforcement, um, dealing with the police and, um, you know, there's always that argument, well, there's good police too, you know, not all police are bad. And we understand that, you know, that's, that's the understanding that obviously there's good people everywhere, but I can tell you this is that I've never met a good police in my life. And I wish that we lived in the society where a story like that wasn't rare, but it happens often. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sitting next to my production manager, who's also black, and I'm pretty sure he could probably tell you a similar story. And he's over here nodding his head. Yes. (laughs) So as you start thinking about this beer and as you start thinking about what like the, you know, how you want to be involved and how you want to to get it out there, um, you come up with the idea of a stout Mm -hmm. and you've put the recipe up there and it seems like it's a fairly straightforward uh, imperial stout recipe, uh, you know, not much, not much to it. Uh, yeah, nothing crazy. Grainville and Cascade uh, at thirty, sixty, and ten, and um, yeah, it just seems like you know, clean California ale yeast as well. Um, why pick a stout? I thought it was appropriate. Um, you know, stouts range in colors from from light chocolate brown to the blackest of black. And it, you know, dealing with uh, black beauty and black people in general, we range from the same color hue. And so I just kind of thought it went hand in hand with the whole initiative that a stout would kind of be perfect. Did you create this recipe specifically for this label or is this one that you've had sort of kicking around? No. So this is a recipe that I created specifically for for uh, the initiative. 
I might be reading too much into this, but what I found interesting was the fact that a stout it, it's twofold. You you go to a lot of festivals and you hear people say like, "Oh, I don't like dark beers," or "I don't like you know strong beers," like that kind of thing. And then mm-hmm. you know when you when you kind of do blind taste with them and you say, "Well, do you, do you like chocolate? Do you like coffee?" and people say yes, uh, and then you say, "Well, why don't you drink the stout and taste it that way?" and they kind of come around to mm-hmm. it, um, you know, pretty easily. What was what struck me is that this is probably a more approachable beer style than some of those other examples that you mentioned early on. Um, you know, with the resilience IPA and the, and the altogether IPA, um, because hops are, you know, pretty divisive among, you know, the majority of drinkers craft has come around obviously to hops, but, um, a stout, it really strikes me as a beer that everybody can get behind. Am I reading too much into that? No, or is that- I, I agree. And then it's also the aspect that there's so many different things that you can do with the stout. Um, and so, you know, we just basically gave people the base and we want, you know, uh, individuals to get creative as they can. So for us, for instance, we're doing the base itself and then we're going to do a second version uh, with some of our fr- our local brewery, uh, Isla Street Brewing, and we're doing a sugar cookie um pecan and caramel version so yeah you know uh, all three in the same or three uh, different ones no all within the same beer yeah um and then (laughs) sure why not uh, yeah and then um we'll also be barrel aging some so midwest barrel company uh, has been gracious enough to go ahead and give us some willet barrels at cost and so we'll be throwing ours in a eight-year willet barrel and a 12-year willet rye barrel Oh, well, that doesn't suck. No, that should be amazing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just to stand around and just sort of smell the barrels when they come in is worth the price of admission right there. Yeah, and then they're offering that to all of the breweries that participate as well. So, you know, if if people want to do a barrel-aged version, then they're getting access to uh, Willet Barrels at cost. So you've, again, we're recording this on Monday. You've had uh, about 400 or so breweries sign up so far, uh, it looks like. Uh, what's that number at right now? Uh, so the website 344. shows 344. Yeah. Uh, it hasn't been updated in 24 hours. And then it also hasn't been updated with the breweries who have not filled out the form. So we've had okay. um, a huge amount of breweries reach out to me and my um, staff directly wanting to get involved. Um, so it's just a matter of us getting all of that stuff updated. Uh, we basically have one social media person that's been attached to all of this. And so it's pretty Working overwhelming. Over for her. yeah so she's trying to get caught up with everything now um so you have three specific things that you're asking the brewers who participate in this program to do yes yeah, so the uh main things is obviously brew the stout um use the label that we provided um showcasing the black is beautiful initiative and then the third would be to donate 100% of the proceeds to a local organization or fundraiser that supports um police brutality reform or um or um like a legal fu- a legal fund have you been talking with brewers i mean because so many of these charities again middle-aged white guy here talking um, so we have had a few breweries reach out to us um for advice i want to say that we did include a list of some of our favorite organizations on the website if people aren't sure on who they want to go ahead and participate to but what my thought process dealing with this was to spread the love 
um, as much locally as we can, right? Instead of choosing one organization and and requiring everybody to donate that money, there's so many breweries around the the country. I mean, we've had close to almost I think 40 states involved. Uh, so you could imagine the amount of cities. Um, so it's like, you know, why not support your, your local organizations, your local, your local fundraisers and put that money back into your community. Yeah. The, the last thing that you, that you post on the website of what you're asking people to do is to commit to the long-term work of equality. Exactly. So, you know, this thing can't be fixed in two weeks of you making a stout and then donating money to charity. You know, it it might make you feel good at the time. And and we appreciate the efforts and support. But at the end of the day, the the overall basis of equality and inclusion is going to take a lot longer and a lot more work from everybody um, within the community, locally, even nationally. And, you know, having respect for each other, um, showing equality, speaking up when you see something, all of that goes hand in hand to building a better community. And so, you know, the the overall basis is we don't want people just to participate and then think that they did something. I mean, you did, but let's do more and continue the conversation and continue to build. This is where I think so many of us can get tripped up of continuing the conversation because you're right you know it, it it feels good probably to 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 make this beer to make a donation to you know say hey yes we 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 did this and you know put the label on your website or 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 whatever it is but 3 weeks from now 4 weeks from now what are the questions that should be asked what are the the steps that should be asked and and, and I'm not asking you to necessarily to you know lay out an entire plan here but what do, you, what do you hope, I guess, people are going to be thinking about and asking and trying to put into effect? I'm hoping that people uh, take this and go, um, how can I best understand this uh, black person, this person of color next to me? How can I best uh, make their situation um, equal to mine. I mean, you know, there's the whole thing of, of speaking about the whole white privilege and all of that. And it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a real thing, right? You might not think it yeah. because you have that, you have that access your entire life. Um, but so to you, it's not a privilege because this is the way that I've lived my life the entire time. But I mean, it's very much a real thing. So I think, you know, if, if people start checking that and understanding that there's a problem, that's the main thing is understanding that there's a problem, then, you know, all of the other things kind of will lead into itself. Is the beer industry inclusive? Is the beer industry diverse? The beer industry is inclusive. The beer industry is growing in diversity. No, based on the amount of breweries and the amount of employees, I would not call it diverse. Um, I will say that it is growing in diversity every day. Um, but I will say that very much that the brewing industry has been very inclusive and very equal um, to me and some of the other minorities that I know in the brewing industry. I mean, at the end of the day, and I tell people this all the time, um, when I got into brewing, you figure the, the black brewers were Mufasa and Garrett Oliver. I didn't have access to either of them. Um, so who taught me how to brew was Mraz Brewing. Um, you know, who helped mentor me was Mraz Brewing and, and Jeff from Jester King and, you know, white men. 
So for me, the brewing industry has always been inclusive and has always tried to go ahead and help me out. I mean, my business partner is Caucasian, too. Um, He does have two black children uh, with one of his ex-wives. But outside of that, you know, um, I think the, the brewing industry has been great for people of color. It's just a matter of you wanting to get in the industry and do something. How do you. When you're saying it's becoming more diverse every day, how, how do you encourage that diversity, especially among the workforce? Um, so, you know, who does a wonderful job, I think, of that is uh, Tired Hands, um, where they have the um, internship for people of color, black people, where you can go and learn, you know, a brewing, brewing uh, path. And then they help you go ahead and get a job within um within the industry. I mean, that's a awesome thing to do. Um, and more people should probably do it. As you think about going back to, to, to January, um, we're halfway through the year now. Where do you hope to be? Or where do you hope we are when this year comes to an end? Um, I am hoping that for one, we can get back to full capacity without the worry of, uh, contracting a disease (laughs) and also that's that's a good one. Yeah. yeah, Um, you know, the other path is, you know, I'm hoping that there becomes some more understanding dealing with the, uh, social injustices that are going around and we start making some real change. Um, and you know, obviously people need to start doing that, going to the polls when it's time to vote. If people want to know more about this program, uh, this collaboration, where can they find it? They can go to blackisbeautiful.beer. They can access our Facebook page, Weather Souls Brewing Company, and our Instagram as well. Um, we'll be posting updates. Any brewery that gets signed up uh, will start receiving some newsletters within the next week as far as some of the sponsors that we have that are supporting the initiative with some great deals. And then, yeah, we're going to go from there. Marcus, thanks so much for sitting down and talking with me and uh, letting me listen for a little bit. No, thank you for having me. It's much appreciated. That's Marcus Baskerville of Weathered Souls in San Antonio, Texas. You can learn more about the collaboration beer and get ready to pick some up at your local soon. Visit blackisbeautiful.beer. And please check out beeredge.com for beer news and insight and subscribe to the newsletter. It's now more important than ever to support local independent journalism and also make sure to listen to the beer edge podcast which comes out every week beer is more than just a liquid in our glass it's part of our social structure and talking about race and diversity are topics that need to be part of the regular conversation it's how real change happens what's important to you in beer and what's being overlooked let me know by reaching out via email i'm John Hall, that's J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at BeerEdge.com. And I'm also on Twitter at John underscore Hall. Nate Schweber did the music. Jeff Quinn designed the logo. And remember to check out Andy Crouch on the Beer Edge podcast. There's also Steal This Beer every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast on the 15th of each month. All of these shows have all of your beer needs covered. And weirdly enough, I happen to be on all of them. New episodes of this show are released every Wednesday. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe and come back to the weekly conversation. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review. I'm John Hall, and I'll be back next week to drink beer and to think beer. 
and I hope you'll join me then.